Everyone, thank you for welcoming me to wherever you are today. Listen, this whole entire year, we have been talking about being Jesus people. I believe God's led us into this. We have just kind of uh, taken this journey through Jesus' gifts in Ephesians 4 and just learning about the gifts that God has put in us and learning about how those gifts were made to equip one another and then also how those gifts can help us all as the body of Christ grow and mature, which leads us into our thought process for the next several weeks. And that is Jesus' church. What does Jesus' church look like? You know, in Ephesians 4, it talked about those five gifts that were given to us to, to equip us, but also to grow and mature us as a body. What, what does that body look like? What does that mean? What does it mean to be the body of Christ? What does it mean to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to, to literally be the church? What does that term mean? Is that church uh, even biblical? What does that translate to? What does it really mean? Well, we're going to dig into that. And one thing that we're also going to do in this, in this uh, thought process of Jesus' church is every single week we're going to have seven-day guides. Okay, so something every single day for you beginning on the Sunday. So your guide begins on Sunday. That's your first day of the week. And so uh, our moderators are going to put that link uh, in the chat and you can follow that link uh, and you can download uh, that PDF file and you can follow along every single day. You can read, you can write, and you can pray. You can read the scripture, you can write down what the Lord is saying, and you can pray. All right? So that's what we're doing every single day. We are being the church, which being the church doesn't mean Sunday morning or Sunday on an online broadcast. Being the church means every single day. Day. So we're going to follow that pattern even in our um, even in our uh, our scripture, even in our uh, praying time, our reading time, our writing time, all those things. We're going to follow that pattern every single day. So you will start on Sunday and then you will go all the way to the next Saturday and then we will have our second installment and our third and our fourth and our fifth. And I think we have six in Jesus Church. But we're just going to be breaking all of this down, and you can't talk about Jesus' church or anything else in the kingdom of God without talking about what we're going to talk about today. Now, if you could guess what we're going to talk about today, just put it in the chat right now. If you're going to guess what we're going to talk about, what, what is the beginning stage of all of it? What do you need to begin to build anything? And I think I probably gave it away right there. Foundation, that's what we're going to talk about today. Foundation, the foundation. You know, in this Jesus Church uh, thought process, we're talking about the foundation. We're talking about the power. We're talking about the teaching. We're talking about the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers, the prayers. We're talking about the things that the early church walked in, that they learned, that they grew in, that they matured together in. And here's where we're going to go. Matthew chapter 16 in verse 13, Matthew chapter 16, I mean the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 13. Now, this may be familiar to a lot of you. We're going to break it down a little bit, and maybe there will be some things in there 
that maybe you have maybe never thought of before or maybe you never heard it before. Again, remember one of the gifts that we talked about in the five-fold ministry giftings of Ephesians 4 was teacher. And when that gift is used, it's kind of the aha moments. It's like, wow, okay, I see that now. Hopefully we're going to we're going to see that gift in operation today. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, this is super important. Caesarea Philippi. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said this. Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah and one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Like, I know what other people are saying. It was kind of a rhetorical question that Jesus was asking them because he already knew what everybody was saying about him. But what he was getting them to was a personal declaration. Listen, we can't live off somebody else's relationship with Jesus. There has to be a personal declaration and belief. There has to be a personal commitment to Jesus. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Listen, if you're following in your Bibles or whatever, mark that, underline that, highlight that. This is key. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Listen, you've gotten this revelation not just on your own, but, but God has revealed this to you. This is God-given. Verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter. Now, here is something very familiar that you may have heard a million times. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So when we talk about these things, we talk about the foundation. Jesus said this, I will build my church. Listen, I Googled this. Listen, I Googled. In preparation for this, I Googled build the church. Every single page, page after page after page after page was about someone building a building. It wasn't scripture. It wasn't Jesus building his church. It was about a group of people or an architectural place or a body of believers who were building a structure. Listen, Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say Scott would build, build Jesus' church. He didn't say that you would build his church. He didn't say that a group of believers in Shreveport, Louisiana would build his church. He said, I will build my church. His church did not come fully assembled. This is a great word. His church did not come fully assembled. The pieces are, were and are scattered throughout the world. So when Jesus said, I will build my church, he was making a commitment to find all the pieces. He was making a commitment that everyone who would accept his love and his sacrifice would be assembled together to be his church. We talked about this in Ephesians 4. Built up, joined together, right? Growing and maturing together as a body. So the church must be built, right? So what else about the church? Well, the church must be built, but the church is people. The church is people. The English New Testament uses the word church to translate the Greek word ekklesia, right? Ekklesia. What does ekklesia mean? Called out ones or called out assembly. A called out assembly. A called out gathering of people. 
called out once. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. He placed emphasis on the word my. Not on the word church, but on the word my. I will build my church. On this rock I will build my church. Jesus announced he was building his own ecclesia. Not temples built by the hands of men. Not temples built by architectural companies. Not, not temples that were, that were built brick by brick by brick by brick by brick, physical bricks. But temples of the Holy Spirit, us. In the New Testament, the word church is used to describe several different assemblies of believers. Listen, when we hear the word church, we just think of kind of one context. But there were several in the New Testament. Like when, when, when they talked about the church in the New Testament, one, they were talking about everybody, believers of all ages around the world. They were also talking about localized, believers who connected within a specific gathering. They were also talking about regional. The church of Ephesus was comprised of many house churches. Listen, small groups didn't start in 1997. Small groups didn't start because some church marketing company in 2000 decided, hey, small group sounds like a great concept. No, this concept was from the beginning. Like the Lord laid all this foundation. Historically, the trend has been to define the church as a location. So what happened then? Well, when the trend went to defining church as a location, the church was then separated from our everyday life, including our homes, and now we just go somewhere once a week or twice a week. We go to that church. We go to that church. Now we're saying structure, building, right? Now it's separated from our everyday life, and now we're not being the church. We go to church. This was not the early church. Acts chapter 2 was not about, it, it was about habitation. It was about God coming to his people and living inside. Habitation. The presence of God with, the, with God's people. The presence of God, the presence of God's people. We talk about that all the time. Those are two things that we value more than anything else. The presence of God. That's what we value more than anything else is the presence of God. But secondly, the presence of God's people. Like God has called us to be here on the earth, declaring him to the earth. We need to be present. We need to be active. We need to come together. Because the early church, they came together filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were a people now declaring Jesus as what? The Son of God. Not just a prophet. Not just a good teacher. Not just a rabbi. But as the Son of God. So listen, the church must be built. The church is people. But get this, the church belongs to Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 3 says this, All things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. God created Adam in his own image. Adam did what he wanted. He disobeyed God. And in doing so, what happened? He unleashed wickedness and violence and depression and sickness and grief and addictions and pain into the world. Sin. But then guess what happened? Jesus humbled himself to become human, born sinless, refusing every temptation to sin, proving himself righteous before God, humbled himself, yet again inviting all of God's wrath and judgment upon himself, complete punishment for the sins of mankind. He did it all on the cross. 
Acts 20, 28, Paul com commanded the elders in Ephesus, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus purchased every member of every culture and every nation with his own blood. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he meant it. The church belongs to Jesus. If you're part of Jesus' church, you belong to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with a price. Never let anyone minimize the price that was paid for your salvation. Steep price was paid for your salvation. To have the opportunity to come to Jesus, to have the opportunity to receive forgiveness of your sin, to have the opportunity to be called a child of God was a steep price. It's all about Jesus. And then he said this, on this rock, this is a great revelation, and on this rock I will build my church. Some think Jesus was saying that he would build his church on Peter. Now let me break this down a little bit, and I don't want to get into speculation, and I don't want to dig into like opinion or anything like that, but a lot of what I'm about to say is very established, not just for the last 20 years, but hundreds of years. Some think Jesus was saying he would build his church on Peter, and now that statement, I'm not even going to call it doctrine because it'd be false doctrine, that statement is used to take away personal responsibility in a personal relationship with Jesus. Because if it's established on Peter, now there's another advocate, right? There's another person. But guess what? There's not another person. There is another one, but it's not a person. It's, it's not a human. It's the Spirit of God. He's the other one, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, sent not to just be with us as an advocate, but to be in us that draws us to Jesus who is our advocate with the Father through His blood, through His sacrifice, not through the sacrifice of any other person. When Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church, some say, well, that means Peter, because Peter, that means rock. But Jesus didn't use the word Petros here. He said, on this Petra I will build my church. On, what do he say? On this Petra. Now, I'm not talking about the 70s and 80s contemporary rock band, but I do understand why they put that name out there. Petra. Their name wasn't called Petros. Those are not the same. They, they lean toward the same, but they're not the same. Same substance, but different. Catch this. Jesus didn't use the word Petros here. Petros, or Peter, refers to a small, loose rock. That's Petros. But Jesus used Petra, and Petra means bedrock, foundation. Jesus did not say he would build his church on one human follower, but on the foundation of the revelation of himself as the Son of God. Nothing in Jesus' life shows any evidence that he ever pointed to a human to be any of our answers. Ever. It's never there. And people use this, pointing to Peter. And now all of a sudden, Peter is this godly saint that now becomes a, an idol of worship. 
Paul the apostle now becomes this idolatrous idol for worship. But even Paul said, it's not about me. I consider everything I've done rubbish. He said, listen, you're all arguing about Apollos and about me, and you're trying to worship a man. It's not about any of us. We're all a part of what God is doing. But God is the one who gets the glory. God is the one who brings the increase. God is the one. He said, all this other stuff is rubbish. I'm just looking forward, and it's Christ and him crucified. I keep my eyes on Jesus. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. Listen, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward. I'm looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. And it's easier for us to believe that there's some human around that's going to give us the answer or that we can lean into or we can use an excuse for when we blow it and it was that person's fault or that person's fault. All of those things are flesh. It's all flesh. None of it is spirit. It's all flesh. The flesh doesn't draw us to Jesus. The spirit draws us to Jesus. The flesh doesn't say, hey, you're prideful and arrogant. The flesh says, hey, you can be prideful and arrogant. It's fine. The spirit says prideful, being prideful and being arrogant will become a block between you and the Lord. Jesus said on this rock, on this Petra, this foundation of what? The revelation of himself as the son of God. What did he ask him? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then he says on this rock. On this rock. Listen, as the Son of God, you know why this is so important? Because there's a whole thing out in the culture today that Jesus was not the Son of God, that his blood wasn't enough, that he wasn't born of a virgin, that he didn't live a sinless life. There are so many things out there. Jesus was a homosexual. Jesus was married. Jesus was this. Jesus was this. Trying to demean Jesus Christ because in him is power. In him is truth. In him is light. And darkness doesn't want light. And lies doesn't want truth. To turn yourself away, to see Jesus as anything else except the Son of God. Because when you see him as the Son of God, guess what it means? It means that he left heaven and came to earth. What was he? He was manna. He was bread from heaven, which goes all the way back to Exodus. It goes all the way back to Moses when they were gathering the manna. They were gathering the manna that came from heaven as a seed. And they would go out and they would gather the seed. And they would prepare the seed. And they would fire it. And they would press it. And they would stripe it. And they would pierce it. And it was the bread. Yes, that was a type and a shadow of Jesus to come. The bread who would come from heaven. As the son of God, that meant he came from heaven to earth. That means he was born of a virgin. That means he lived a sinless life. That means he fulfilled the ancient prophecies of the Messiah all along the way of his sinless life. It means that he died on a cross. And in the process, he fulfilled a multitude of ancient prophecies within a few days. He was dead and he was buried. He was resurrected from the dead, appearing to hundreds again, fulfilling ancient prophecies. He ascended to heaven, sent his spirit to live inside of humanity who would believe and confess this revelatory foundation again 
fulfilling ancient prophecies and prophecies Jesus himself spoke about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, another prophecy, Holy, the Holy Spirit filled 120 and the power of the gospel was released to Jew and Gentile alike, again fulfilling prophecies. And as the Son of God, he will return again to receive his ecclesia, his bride, his called out ones, his body, his church. You see why now that's the revelation, that's the foundation? How terrible would it have been for us if the revelation was Peter? This is Matthew 16. Peter would go on to deny Jesus, deny him over and over and over again. Horrific sin, denying Jesus. What a shame it would be if that's the foundation that we're built on. Because that's not a bedrock. That's shifting sand. The bedrock is, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the bedrock. That's the foundation. And how did Jesus reveal this amazing revelational foundation in Matthew 16? How did he reveal it and where did he reveal it? Remember, I said Caesarea Philippi was important. When you read the Gospels and you see this moment and, and, and you see Caesarea Philippi, you have an understanding that throughout the Gospels, when Jesus took his disciples certain places, there were certain places that were welcome and there were certain places they weren't welcome. There were also certain places they couldn't go as Jews. One of those places would have been Caesarea Philippi. It would have been unlawful to actually go to the place where history records that they are, which is not just, hey, we're in Caesarea Philippi somewhere. Because if you go to Caesarea Philippi today, it's not necessarily a city, it's a place. But at that place, there's a mountain. And in that, at that mountain, there's an opening. There's almost a gateway, a doorway in, that, in the side of that bedrock, that mountain. And along that is a stream. And in those days, there, that place was known for many things. Many things. And all of it had to do with worship, idol worship, all manner of sexual perversion, all manner of things were happening, all manner of incantations and spells and all manner of things were happening at this place. It was a place where Jews were not supposed to be. Also, geographically, it was one of the northernmost places from Jerusalem. If you know anything about those, those days, Jerusalem was the holy place. And even geographically, it was, hey, we're away from Jerusalem. We're away from holiness, right? We're getting away. Unlawful for them to be there. And Jesus chooses this place to establish himself as the son of the living God. This place. This Caesarea Philippi. This place which was... which. We even know today come the, come the fables and the stories of Pan and playing his flute and, and his music and coming alongside the, the waterways with the nymphs and then taking advantage of the nymphs and all these, all these things that were happening that play into the evilness of this place to the point where even that gateway in the side of that bedrock mountain was known as the gates of Hades. They believed spirits would be released and taken in through that in the midst of their idol worship, in the midst of all these things, we would call them like festivals they would even have. These gatherings and these festivals where anything goes. 
And it's here. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Well, on this rock, what's the rock? I am the son of the living God. On this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades. He's using the place where they are. He's saying, listen, this is the most evil place in the world. He's giving them a connotation. He's giving them something they can understand. Listen, not even the most evil can come against this revelation. That I am the son of the living God. Listen, Jesus didn't do anything by mistake. It was always purposeful. And today we stand in that revelation. That the foundation of the ecclesia is Christ, the son of the living God. That's a bedrock. That's a Petra. That's something we can build our lives on. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Belief and confession. Peter, throughout the rest of his life, would boldly declare that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, to the point that when they were arrested and told to speak no longer in Jesus' name, what did he say? We can't help but speak that which we know. We can't help but speak it. We've got to speak it no matter the cost. We've got to declare him no matter the cost. Because why? Because Petros was built on the Petra. That little loose rock of Peter was built on the bedrock of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to land this thing. 1 Peter chapter 2. And you guys may be like, man, Scott, this is pretty intense today. You haven't had a lot of chatter with us back and forth. And, and man, you've, you've kind of had this look of intensity as you've been speaking. And I want to just take a moment to let you know why. This prayer was prayed before we even started filming. And that was that I believe with all of my heart that the Lord led us in 2022 to really know what it meant to be Jesus' people. I believe with all of my heart that the timing of Jesus' gifts was right on point. And I believe with all of my heart that understanding what it really means to be the church of Jesus Christ is critical for this time period right now. Hear me. Critical. This is not just another sermon series. It's not just a sermon. This is preparation. We are being prepared for an event. And that is the coming of Jesus. And I know you may not hear this. We don't hear this enough. I promise you we don't hear it enough. I don't say it enough. But I'm saying even so come Lord Jesus. Not because I'm uncomfortable or the times are hard or, you know, this isn't the America that I was raised in. You know, there were a lot of bad things happening in America when I was born. There were race riots happening when I was born. At the moment I was born, where I was born. I remember the great gas shortage. I remember sitting in line for hours to get fuel when I was a kid. But there has been a shift in the globe. Not just in America, but the globe. And a spirit has been unleashed in a sense that we've not seen outwardly in, I know, my lifetime. 
You've seen pockets of it, but there has been a all out, the spirit of lawlessness, call it the spirit of Antichrist. I'm not going to say call it whatever you want because that wouldn't be true. But it has been unleashed. And I believe that the Lord is trying to prepare his people. We've taken being the church for granted. And we have not been the church. We've gone to church maybe. And those that have told you there's something inherently wrong with that, they're wrong too. I'm just going to say it out loud. I'm just sick and tired of sanitizing my language. I'm just exhausted, guys. People that tell you that gathering with other believers is not important, they are liars. Liars. I said it. It's lies. Throughout history, God's people have gathered. POW camps, God's people gathered. Under the threat of death, God's people have gathered. Why? Because Jesus commanded it. Because it's important. And so when I talk about, like, Jesus' church, this is important, you guys. This is important. I don't want you to turn this off and just go about your life and be totally unaffected. I want you to be transformed, not by what I said, but what the Holy Spirit's stirring up inside of you. Because if the early church, and we can read it in the book of Acts and on, the price they paid for being Jesus' people, could we look at that and go, yeah, I've paid that price. I can't. No way. Even the things that I would say that I've had to come against don't even, it pales in comparison. Persecution that I think is persecution is not persecution at all, maybe just inconvenience. And listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, Petros, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. Look, that goes all the way back to Ephesians 4. Joined together, being built up, growing and maturing together as a body. Are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, Petra, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will be by no means be put to shame. He's been called the stone that the builders rejected and not even realizing that he was the chief cornerstone. Because if you're building something, you need a chief cornerstone. If you're going to build it to last, you've got to have a chief cornerstone. And they had no clue that they had rejected the cornerstone of the entire faith. So what is the foundation? The rock on which Jesus' church is built, it is the divine revelation of the person of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Listen, maybe you've never realized this. Maybe it's never just 
boom, hit you. Or maybe you did it one time, but today the Holy Spirit is renewing the revelation of Jesus to you. So after all that, let's look at it with fresh eyes. Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, now we know what the region was. He asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? They said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? Listen, that's still the question today, y'all. Who do you say that Jesus is? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this, but my father who is heaven. And I say this to you, that you are Peter. Listen, you are Peter. He didn't call him Simon Peter. You are Peter. Some people think he goes, you are Peter and on this rock. No, 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 you are Peter. This is almost, it's time for a new name. Peter. Peter, right? And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's talking about authority that's gonna be given to them through this revelation. Then he commanded his disciples, this is super interesting, that they should tell no one that Jesus was the Christ. Why? Because his time had not come yet. When had his time come? When he ascended to the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit. What was his instructions? To go and wait. But what were also his instructions? Once this all goes down, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Disciple, teach, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, the Great Commission. It wasn't Jesus' time yet. But he was establishing the revelation, the foundation. The foundation of our faith is not a church building or a church service or a song or a sermon. Foundation of our faith is not even my grandma did this or my grandpa did this or my mom or my dad. The foundation of our faith in being the church is who do you say that I am? Because if you don't say that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, you are not the church of Jesus. We're not the body. And I know for me today, I'm saying you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, Scott, you made a commitment 28 plus years ago. I'm talking about today, right now, after all these years and everything that I've seen and all the ups and downs and all the things, tragedies, successes, celebrations, and funerals. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is. Not He was. He is. He was, He is, and He is to come. And so today, I want that to just rest upon you right now. And I want you to, to now, you, not me, you, I want you to take that and I want you to pray to the Lord. I want you to pray to the Lord and to declare to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen, don't forget our weekly, our weekly plans start on Sunday. All right, our weekly plans, download those things, print those out, follow along, 
read, write, pray, and let's grow and mature and be the body of Jesus. God bless you.